The sight of the fuzzy red letters of light hovering above the ground in the distance could not have been more welcome. Rain hammered my windshield. My wipers hadn't been useful for hours. As I continued rolling forward, the fuzzy red letters finally revealed their meaning. As I read Motel Vacant, I realized the letters weren't floating, but affixed to a large wooden beam. I pulled into a parking lot and looked over my shoulder into the back seat. A backpack. What it contained was little less than what I owned. A DSLR camera, a harmonica, a bag of chips I got at the last gas station I hit, and a legal pad. About five Bic pens were hooked into the side nets of the bottle holders. I looked over the seats through my back window, similarly hazed in the makeshift ocean. For a moment, the rain let up, and I could see in the distance a wall of trees. The beginning of a forest that went on for tens of miles, I knew from the Google Earth scouting I'd done ahead of time. The sun had already taken its leave behind them, and it was kind enough to radiate its warm red glow just above the tree line, just below the darkness of the moody ink of night. Bathed in the sight, for a moment a deep calm passed over me, and then my eyes found the backpack again. I needed to get a move on. I draped an old windbreaker over my bag and then held the bag above my head as I did my best speed walk to the door of the front office. It was locked. I squinted through the window to make sure this was the right entrance, and it seemed to be. The side of an old lobby lay just beyond. The front desk, empty. But the sign hanging in the lower right of the window read, Open. So I decided to start banging. First a few knocks, then a few moments of silence, then a few more knocks. Nothing was happening. My body began to shiver. The odometer in my car claimed it was just above 40 degrees out here. I was just about ready to head back when I saw someone peek from behind the corner of a hallway about as far away inside as I could see. Luckily, they immediately ran out, a big smile strewn across their face. They unlocked the door and gave me a big, Howdy! as I hobbled inside. It was an older woman, probably in her fifties. Sorry about that. I hope you weren't kept too long. I'm the only one here right now and I was cleaning up a mess in the back. Ah, no, you came at the perfect time, I said, kind of a lie. I need a room for the night, and there's heating here, right? Oh yeah, we got heat, she said. She made her way back behind the counter and started looking through a scruffy old ledger. We've actually been completely vacant all week, so you've got your choice here. Now, you want the room with a 25-inch television? or the one with a microwave. I thought for a second before pulling the trigger on the TV. 
I didn't have anything to microwave anyhow. Alright, there's a stack of VHSs over there you can pick from if you'd like. We don't got antenna out here, she said. I looked over to where she'd nodded. There was a little leather rocking chair that looked about 50 years old, sat just beside a little wooden stool containing the stack of videos. I walked over and started looking through while she got finished doing whatever she was doing to get the room ready. The top VHS was of Eraserhead. I immediately let out a chuckle. I hadn't seen that movie in years, but good god did it stick with me. The little musical number, In Heaven Everything Is Fine, still makes itself known in my dreams, or nightmares, more like. The next one down was of a film called Johnny Got His Gun. Never heard of it. The next one down was an old collection of a few episodes of that old sitcom Taxi. I never cared for that show, so I kept going down the list. Next one looked like a bootleg tape. It was one of those non-labeled tapes, but someone had laid a few pieces of masking tape across the cover and wrote, Rod Serling's UFOs, Past, Present, and Future. I was an avid watcher of The Twilight Zone as a kid. My dad was absolutely obsessed with the show, so I was very familiar with Rod Serling. I put that tape to the side and picked up the last one of the stack. And this one was just like the previous one, being a blank black tape, but with the added bonus of containing no masking tape, no writing of any kind. Something about that piqued my interest. Hey, uh, would I be able to take back more than one tape? I think I like two of these, I asked her, not removing my gaze from the tapes. Uh, sure, hon, she said. Just gotta write them up so we make sure you don't run off with them when you leave. I could feel her wink from behind. I grabbed the two tapes and walked over to the front desk. I handed them to her, and immediately her smile came back, but this time twice as wide. You've got good tastes, she began, shaking her head from side to side. Yeah? I questioned, then tapped on the blank tape. What kind of taste does this reveal? She met my eyes again for the first time in a while. It shows you've got taste for secrets. And this time her wink was visible. She went into the back room and came out with a key ring on her hand. Now, if I were you, I'd start with the Rod Serling dock and move on to the next one. Might be a better viewing experience that way. Plus, the latter's a thousand times shorter. I nodded, but replied, Ah, well, we'll see. I have a bad habit of getting the easy parts of my life out of the way first. She chuckled and handed me the keys. You're in room three. If you aren't going to watch that first doc, 
Let me just tell you a little something about that blank tape before you turn it on. It was given to me by a customer about a year ago, who passed through on his way to the desert. He was raving about some crazy things, I'll tell you. And I told him. He just laughed and said no one ever believes him. But handed me that tape and said he'd recorded it just a couple months prior on an old camcorder. Let me know what you think of it before you leave. And with that, she hunkered down in her chair. I nodded, told her I would, and made my way back to the room. The room was tiny, almost felt like a large closet. A small bed, I felt, was a little more narrow than the average twin, and a tiny little TV that looked like it moved around from thrift shop to thrift shop for a few decades, before landing here, sat atop an old VCR of a similar fate. I threw my backpack to the floor as I sat down on the bed and rifled through to get that bag of chips. I hadn't eaten all day, and some fried slices of potato sounded quite good to me. I looked around the room as I slid a chip onto my tongue. There were no decorations. The walls a solid gray. There was a tiny little door to a bathroom, which contained what you'd expect. My eyes went back to the TV. I figured I could wait to get to work and slid the blank VHS into the VCR. I decided I didn't need to get my Serling fix today. When the TV came to life, it had all the appearance of a proper home video. The man behind the camera seemed to be driving his car down a long desert road. The shot was aimed out of the front windshield, showing the beautiful setting sun cresting the mountains in the distance, nothing but flat, empty wilderness as far as the eye could see, right up to those mountains. He kept on driving. I noticed one hand on the wheel, so the other must have been holding the camera. And then suddenly, the tape cut out. It wasn't a normal cut to black, or blue for that matter, but a weird wavy distortion that ran up and down the screen, which then cut to black with a loud shriek. The shriek sounded almost digital, not a human scream, but almost like someone trying to recreate the sound of a man's screech on a digital synthesizer. About ten seconds passed. And then the camera comes back. I now see only a deep, black sky. I know it's the sky because I can see the moon backlighting a cloud, along with a few twinkling stars. The camera then swings around to reveal what I presumed to be the man's car parked along the side of the highway. Not a sign of any other life anywhere. The camera swings back to the sky, though not aimed quite as high up. The mountains were visible on the lower end of the screen, giving some clue of distance and perspective. I could hear the man breathing behind the camera, as though he were out of breath. 
but he didn't say a word. As I continued watching, he continued breathing, and then I heard him take a sharp inhale and hold it. This made me pause my crunching and stare intently. As I focused my gaze, I realized that the cloud obscuring the moon was drifting out of the way. But this gave way to the realization that this was not the moon. As the cloud kept drifting, I realized this was not circular-shaped or formed of a crescent in any way, nor was it white and pitted. It was a large, ovular structure, shining as though a star and emitting a red halo around the rim of its blinding white center. The man's camera began to shake, but he took another few breaths as he tried to steady his camera. The ball of light held in the sky for about 15 seconds, before it began to grow in size rapidly. In the span of five seconds, it doubled in size. What was going on? As the camera suddenly spun around towards the car and jolted around like he was running as fast as he could, I realized what was supposed to be going on. The ball of light wasn't growing in size. It was getting closer. Suddenly, the camera came to a steady still looking out of the back window of the man's car. He must have flung it back there in a rush because within another second, the car roared to life and the scene began running off into the distance as the car flew away. But the camera kept rolling, and as I heard the man huffing and puffing and mumbling to himself words I couldn't decipher, I stared with the camera at the empty highway road in the dark of night surrounded by only desert and distant mountains on all sides. But then, I saw it. The large red orb, now looking to be of possibly the size of an automobile, sloped downwards out of the sky slowly, like it was drifting, to the right of the upper left of the screen. There it hovered about ten feet off the ground in the distance, watching as the car drove away. And then it began to grow larger. As the car continued to haul itself forward, the ball of light kept gaining on it. And as it got closer to the vehicle, it raised itself further off the ground and disappeared out of sight. A moment later, the tape cut to black. I sat there for another minute, waiting, but that was it. That was the footage. I hadn't tasted a chip since about 15 seconds into the video, and I wasn't hungry anymore. What in God's name was this? Some student film project? Was someone inspired by the Blair Witch Project and tried to make some found footage film? I had to get more details. 
I walked back up to the front office. Again, she wasn't there. It took a few minutes of knocking to finally get her attention, and she gave me a similar excuse as the first time. I barely responded, and told her I'd watched the film and wanted to know what this was all about. She just told me more or less what she'd already said. I don't really know anything more than you do, she went on. This guy just seemed eccentric and had tons of stories to tell. I didn't believe him, so he gave me that tape. What kinds of stories? I asked. Uh, all kinds, she began. He claimed that there had been strange sightings in this area, and within a couple hundred mile radius of this area for the past few years. Strange lights in the air, disappearances, claimed there was some kind of cover-up going on. He never got too specific and was kind of all over the place, so I just dismissed him. But on his way out, he gave me that tape. And my God, I guess I was just as shocked as you are right now. Kind of comforting to not be alone on this no more, to be honest. I'm glad you gave it a watch, she said, cackling to herself with a big old grin. I stood frozen for a second, and then began shaking my head from side to side, giggling myself. This was too odd. But, to tell you the truth, it was the most exciting thing I'd experienced in a long time. So, it was more than welcome. Back in my room, I decided to get to work. TV off, notepad out, I had some writing to do. I'd been putting this off for days, wanting to get some good photos of the scenery first but it was just too damn rainy to go out right now, so I thought I'd write down some descriptions of the nature I'd seen this far on my way up. Hours passed. Around midnight, the rain had let up a bit. It still sprinkled lightly, but the visibility was much better now. I stared out between the blinds of my motel window at the distant forest edge. I felt like something could happen, though. I didn't know what, and I didn't know what that meant. It was just a feeling of intrigue I got staring at the trees, lit up in the darkness just enough by the full moon and the blinding stars. And then suddenly, a loud noise like a high-pitched ringing. It reminded me of tinnitus, though it was certainly not located inside of my head. This tone had direction, and it was coming from straight ahead. I looked up and noticed a bright light in the sky above the tree line that wasn't there before. My heart skipped a beat as I considered the video I just watched hours before. But as I gazed further, I realized this wasn't quite ovular shaped, and it didn't have a red halo. No, this one was a bright circular ball of white light and held a halo of green. 
I couldn't help but hold my breath as I watched this thing hover in the air, and then it began to drift slowly down into the left, further into the center of my vision. In a burst of remembrance, I ran over and grabbed the camera from my backpack and snapped a few shots. Looking at my photos later, I was reminded at how awfully anything looks in the sky. No matter how vivid it seems in person, it always shows up the size of an ant in the photo. And if there's any movement at all, even the slightest swaying of my wrist, it blurs the object all to hell. And no one would believe it any more than a weird star, or at worst, an airplane. But this was no airplane. Airplanes don't hover in the sky, and even helicopters have blinking lights. Regardless, I'd never seen anything with a perfectly green circular halo around it. And just as I was thinking these things, watching this thing drift at the pace of a tortoise closer to the tree line, it suddenly shot up straight into the air, into the distant, imperceptible sky as though it had gone from 2 miles an hour to 50,000 miles an hour in the blink of a second. I actually jumped away from the window. What the hell was that? I felt a deep fear grip my chest, and I worried the potato chips weren't doing my stomach any good in this instance either. But I crept up closer to the window just in case. And I was right. As I watched, the exact same thing I'd observed happened again, though in reverse. The bright white and green orb zoomed from the top of the sky straight down into or behind the tree line in the span of half a second. And it was then I realized the high-pitched sound finally stopped. I was in complete silence, aside from the pounding of my heart in my chest. I just couldn't believe what I had just witnessed. And upon reflection, I couldn't believe I was almost definitely the only person out here to see it. I watched for another 15 minutes, but nothing occurred. And then, an idea came to me. An idea that may overwrite all of the work I'd been doing this whole trip. But an idea that would make that all worthless anyway. I slid the DSLR back into my backpack and grabbed the key to the motel room. Even though it was half past midnight, it was time to go on a hike. It took me about an hour just to get to the forest edge, and my shoes and socks were soaked. I'd waded through about two miles of soggy grass and annoying weeds. I was just happy to be in front of the trees. The rain was quite annoying, but I knew it would be better in the forest, given that the trees would provide some cover. Once I crested the forest edge... I slipped the camera out from my backpack 
I had to be ready, just in case. Just in case, I thought. It was much darker amongst the trees, which is something I hadn't accounted for, unfortunately. I took a look at my crappy old cell phone. No service. I hadn't had service in about the last 25 miles, but there was still about 15% of the charge. I decided to bite the bullet and turn on the flashlight feature. The trees went on infinitely ahead of me as far as I could see. A shiver ran up my spine, and something told me I should turn back. But I pressed forward. About twenty minutes into the trek, I began to hear that high-pitched sound again, but much quieter. I kept on walking, and it elevated in volume. Before too long, it was nearly deafening, but by the time I was considering turning back just to try and save my eardrums, I thought I could see something different ahead of me. Something that wasn't a tree, anyways. I kept on moving forward and realized I was looking at a little shed in the distance. It looked to be about the size of an outhouse, only a little skinny door out front. I presumed it to be quite old, given the faded and chipped navy blue paint that covered it on the front and sides I could see. For some reason, there was a little chimney coming out of the top right of the building. As I got right up to it, the high-pitched tone was almost unbearable and I began to feel a growing nausea that I assumed was caused by the irritating sound. I wanted to get out of here, and resolved to just after checking out the shed. I had gone this far, and found this thing, so I might as well. I knocked on the door a few times and said something to the effect of, Hey, I'm lost. Is anybody there? I wasn't really lost, but I didn't know what other excuse to use. There was no sound. I realized the door wasn't even clicked shut, and there was about a centimeter between the door and the door frame. It was just a little jammed, and I could see no light on the inside. So, I began to tug at it. I pulled and pulled, but the door was jammed tight. But with one final lurch, the door flung open, and I fell onto the soggy pile of leaves below. Ah, just great, I thought, trying to wipe the mud off of the bottom of my pants as I arose. I then looked back to the now open door and froze immediately. I could see now there was a distant light beyond the door, but very distant. It seemed to be about 50 yards away into the building. I took a few steps to the side and verified to myself that the shed was no more than a few feet deep in length and width, but looking through the door again, the sense of depth was almost infinite. 
I tiptoed up to the doorframe, and I leaned inside, my hands on each side to keep me safely on the forest floor. Though on the outside, this little thing appeared the size of a closet. On the inside, it was no smaller than two football fields put together. It went on as far as I could possibly see in all directions, including upwards. It was like looking up into a wide open sky, though devoid of stars. The infinity seemed to fade away in the abyss of a distant fog, no true end in sight. The distant light I could see before me was like a dancing flame in a distant fire. It was also reminiscent of a distant star, in that it was tiny and twinkling. I looked up, to the left, to the right, and just before me, and it was all the same, infinite depth punctuated by a singular dot of light. I was suddenly hit with an intense growth of nausea. The room began to spin and I tightened my grip on the doorframe to keep myself grounded, but my head nodded down in tight weakness. This was when I finally noticed that beyond the edge of the forest floor was simply another plunge into infinity. There was no floor beyond this shed. There was only the same infinite depth and a distant twinkle. This place didn't even have a floor. I felt my sickness grow, and the room began to seem to grow ever larger along with my dizziness. And then suddenly, my grip slipped. I fell into this void and began to fall. I tried to scream, but the nausea was simply too intense to do more than moan. I drifted limply down into this abyss, flailing, rotating, the wind flying past me as I flew past it, ever gaining momentum. And then suddenly, all sense of my body was gone, the nausea included. I could see nothing but a black void. I was this black void. No thoughts crossed my consciousness. I was pure. In a way, it was blissful. But then vision began to return. I still lacked all bodily sensation, but I was beginning to see the faint shape of a room. There was what looked like a window or a small door in the back left corner. It was also shadowy, but as I gazed unblinking, the figure of a man began to grow to the general right of my field of view. It was nothing but a mass of flesh at first, the faint outline of a figure, but I could suddenly make out a large grin, a very toothy grin. These teeth were 
all out of proportion for its head. It was like the teeth were at least two times too big, and the grin was extremely unnatural. Though I couldn't think, I felt an intense energy of horror grow inside of my essence. The mass continued to sharpen until its piercing eyes struck me next. It was as though they had no eyelids. They were perfectly circular, staring at me in horrid intensity. They seemed to be bloodshot. If I could have at the time, I would have probably screamed. But trapped in this in-between state, I could do nothing but observe. I suddenly got the faint impression that I was staring at a computer screen. It was like I actually began to observe pixels in the texture of my visual field, and it was synonymous with this recognition that the whole of the image manifested itself in its full render. The man was no man. It was a dog. What kind of dog, I don't even know. It looked kind of like a pit bull, kind of like a husky, but not. The eyes, they were so devoid of emotion and so filled with cold observance paired with that horrid human jaw and set of teeth that the nausea suddenly flooded back into my field of consciousness. It was with this horrible rush of sickness that bodily sensation began to revive itself, and in the course of about five seconds, the image before me began to pixelate rapidly, first to the look of a VHS quality, then to about an early cell phone 240p quality, and then as though it was displayed on an old Atari gaming system. And as this finally faded to black, I felt myself flying through the air. I hit the ground hard. I was lying on my back and felt like I had just been hit on the head with a brick. Then I heard what sounded like a loud wooden crash. I looked around, but... There was nothing to see but darkness. But there was a little something about ten feet away on the ground. Crawling over to it, I found it to be my cell phone, the flashlight still on. I had only two percent battery left. I flung it around in wild horror in an attempt to assess my whereabouts where I found myself about five feet away from the entrance of the door. The door was now closed, looking just as it had appeared when I'd found it. My heart was beating like I was on the verge of a heart attack, and the images and memories of what I had just endured floated through my mind, but I knew I had to act fast and with unbending will. My flashlight was about to give, and though I knew not how or why, 
I knew I was in great danger. I began running wildly in the direction opposite the shed door, and as I ran, the high-pitched tone began to lower in intensity, to the point where it disappeared entirely. When I crested the tree line into the open field, I fell to my knees in relief. I could see the motel in the distance. I knew I was safe. But I also saw the sun beginning to rise just above the lowest mountain. I figured it could be no later than about 2am, and that's being generous, but as I checked my phone, I saw the clock for only a second before the battery gave its last and the screen clicked to black. It was 6.45 a.m. I didn't sleep a wink. After getting back to the hotel, the sun was already well into the sky, and I didn't feel my nerves would let me rest anyway. I figured it was time to hit the road as well. I didn't know what the hell happened to me, but I figured a drive would help, and getting away from this place would help even more. In fact, I think that's what I wanted more than anything, to get out of this place and never think about it again. My stomach still wasn't right, but it was leaks better than it was in the heat of the ordeal. I just needed to turn in the keys so I could get out of here. I met the lady at the front desk after the customary door pounding and gave her the tapes. I didn't mention what I'd been through the previous night as I didn't want to be called a loon. Uh, no, that's a cop-out. In reality, I, I didn't want to even acknowledge what had happened to me because I couldn't process the situation myself. Part of me believed it was all one big hallucination. But just before I was ready to bum-rush the door, she said to me, Oh, and hey, were you expecting an email? An email? I repeated back to her. I couldn't imagine why she would ask me such a question, given that even she didn't have my email address. Um... No, I wasn't expecting an email. Oh, well, I got an email with your name in the subject line. The computer's in the back office if you want to take a look. I didn't want to open it in case it was private. I nodded and meandered my way into the back. There was a dirty old Windows XP computer set up in the corner open to an old email client. It was open to an email with the subject line of my name, colon, urgent. I felt my heart in my throat as I clicked it open. The following is the text of the email. Dear Again, my name. 
We understand your journalistic integrity is of the most rigid and moral character. This is why we wish to speak with you. It is of the utmost importance that you delete this email immediately upon copying it onto your legal pad and opening the attachment. I believe the file attached will quell any questions or resistance you maintain. You have stumbled upon something far more important than you realize, and meeting with us will provide you with as much benefit as you will provide us. Regards General Charles T. Whittacall USS XTC I read the email about five times over before scribbling it onto my notepad as requested. There were no directions for me, despite the statement that they wished to speak with me. Ultimately, I didn't know what frightened me more. The fact that the attached file, which I strongly felt I should not click, read smile.dog, or that the email address was owned by a known government agency. I didn't click the file and left the motel without saying a word. Okay. Thank you for listening to tonight's episode of Clancy Pasta. Tonight's story was, I wish I didn't know the secret behind this old internet creepypasta, written and narrated by yours truly. If you enjoyed, I would really appreciate it if you would follow or subscribe to the podcast, give it a like or a heart, and if you would like to support the podcast and get ad-free narrations along with other stuff, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash clancypasta. And uh, also, either right before I uploaded this, like the day before, or the day after I upload this, uh, there's going to be a very, very special update video coming up here. So uh, that'll be linked uh, as a card right now if it's up, uh, or uh, tomorrow when it is up. And it'll also be uh, in the end screen credits as well. It's been a little while since I've gotten out an original story, so I, I really hope you all enjoyed. Let me know what you thought of it in the comments below. And uh, huge thanks to all of my supporters on Patreon and YouTube members. Uh, your support helps out immensely. So, I guess it's time to hit the hay. Hope you all have a great night's sleep and uh, don't have too many nightmares. All right. I'll talk to you later. Cheers.